everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. And we're live, or live and recorded, whatever you want to call it. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric Wright. Thanks for listening. Uh, super happy. We've got another great guest. I should... I need to come up with a better way to say that because I always, <laughs> this is, uh, I'm like a one trick pony with this thing. I, I could get a job in radio on the weekends. We rock and the mornings we talk. Uh, I am very happy today to welcome longtime uh, friend, colleague, and somebody who I'm going to touch on an interesting subject that I've, I've, we've, as an industry, we've kind of battled with this idea. Today, I welcome John Troyer, who, if you've been involved at all in social media, uh, in the idea of influencer marketing, and you know, if any history in VMware at all, uh, you've you've heard of VExpert, you've heard of John. Uh, very happy, and we're going to touch. And I've got this really tough topic of how do we tackle the the validity and and keeping health in the idea of what influencer marketing is. So anyways, John, introduce yourself and let's find out where we can get you online and and we're going to have a have a little fun on this one. Awesome. Hey, Eric, thanks. Uh, You could have stopped with another great guest. That just works. That works. That's pretty good for me. Um, Hey, so thanks for having me here. So I'm John Troyer. Uh, You can uh, locate me at, you may have heard of me from places like uh, techreckoning.com, the Influence Marketing Council, and at Jay Troyer on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I did work for many, many years at VMware. I now work with uh, communities of influencers, tech communities of practice. We'll talk about that probably today. I work with uh, people who work with community, work with influencers, work with advocates, developer relations, you know, basically people who work with trust and relationships in these corporate ecosystems. And I hang out with a lot of cool folks in the, in the te- mostly in the tech industries, uh, some other, you know, some other kinds of companies. But yeah, I'm having a lot of fun these days. Ooh, and there, I love that the, the two words that really stuck out just because I'm so, I'm so like tuned into this thing lately is, is trust and relationships. And that's really kind of what the whole thing is, is wrapped around and it should be. Uh, but what I find is we've got this weird thing where, you know, influencer marketing as a term, it gets, it gets spread thinly across a lot of different veins. And especially if you look at it as, you know, like consumer influencer marketing, that's like, you know, Kim Kardashian saying, this is the greatest cover up I've ever used. Here's a picture of my face with the bottle beside it. You know, they pay you 10,000 bucks and, and then you never talk about it again. But that's not really what we do. If we think in technology, influencer marketing, what would you, how would you describe? Tell me what you- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, look, we've, we've always, uh, you had uh, worked with influence and, and relationships in B2B uh, encounters, right? Uh, there's a reason we don't leave brochures behind uh, in somebody's office. We send a sales team and then you have, a, you know, and you, you develop relationships and you figure out what, you know, how one can help each other. One, you know, uh, how, how a company can help the customer. So, you know, trust and relationships are a big part of doing business with each other. We tend to do business with people we like. And you've always wanted to have, you know, be up there on stage or have, have people that people are familiar with. It's just that now in 2019, as the mechanisms of communication and uh, have changed and our culture has changed, if you look at the culture metrics 
trust metrics and things like that. You know, people like me or technical experts uh, are very trusted. Corporate uh, representatives and CEOs and politicians, not so trusted. So that our culture has shifted as our social media and internet has shifted. Uh, and so you do have the rise of a class of people who now are what I term non-institutional influencers. So institutional influencers, I would say, would be people like company executives or journalists or analysts, right? People who are in a corporate context who uh, we're used to listening to as, as experts. Non-institutional influencers are people who grew up as practitioners, and we can talk a little bit about community of practice in a B2B context. They're usually authorities or at least communicators or curators in their, uh, in their context, in their community of practice. In the B2C world, they have a tendency to be more celebrities or tastemakers. So there is a, that different dynamic there. Now, that was a lot of words. Eric, how'd I do? Uh, great. It sounded like you've done this before. Like it's, I struggle all the time because there's so many, uh, there's so many opinions that kind of roll into what it is and and how to do it right. And I think that's that's really the big thing that we've we've fought mm-hmm. as we evolve over the course of like we came from, we were literally people that had a lot of trophies and 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 plus ones in online communities, and they became like, oh, this person clearly is like super involved, and they became able to kind of influence people is like say like hey they were suddenly they would show up at your local technology meetup and mm-hmm. they and it was this neat thing of like there's there seemed like there was a separation they had somehow vaulted and created this gap between you know normalcy and you know here was this person who suddenly had the they were on stage for a reason <laughs> but what's funny is we've we've really we, I think we've narrowed that gap. We also, it's just so blurry now. Like it, we just don't do the same interactions like we used to. Well, yeah, there's a couple other ways you can map it. Um, you know, certainly traditionally, uh, if you're if you're on the selling side, right? If you're part of, if you're if you're a an industry vendor, and for you and I, and for most people listening here, it's the tech industry. You know, there's a there's a way to map the customer journey or or, or some sort of sales funnel and and look at. Uh, try to figure out do buying centers you know what effect do do peers uh, in this kind of peer recommendations have on these different buying centers and different parts of this process that's an interesting way to look at it and it turns out that you know you and me and and joe and mary schmo who are practitioners have some influence on some parts of that for sure uh the other way of looking at it is actually what we didn't talk about specifically in tech i really like a book that came out a few years back called uh, the new kingmakers uh, by the Red Monk guys, uh, I think it's by Stephen O'Grady, and that talks about the rise of uh, developers in particular in our in our particular field because of the rise of open source and because of the rise of the kind of try before you buy and the increase in quality in software. It made the technical practitioner actually much more influential in the buying process because you can take open source, you can look at it, you can try it. A lot of our cloud now with SaaS too, right? A lot of these cloud services. It makes the user experience and the user experience from the technical operator's perspective much more much more important as you buy a product, which means that, uh, yes, the CEO and the VP have their say, and they, they go with the sales rep they like and the company that you know they've been in, in bed with for years, but now the technical person actually has a lot more say than they used to. So that's another factor that goes in there, uh, Eric. I don't have an answer to your question, but you know this is all in the mix here, and that's why it's so complicated. Yeah, and and I've said I've struggled with this almost like this really super clickbaity you know headline I wanted to to pen a, a blog under. It's like is is influencer marketing killing your brand? And and the reason why I I, I picked that title is because I, I 
there's a concern for me that people eventually don't they, they get the notoriety of being able to have this peer influence and the peer sharing. And it really, it's, I, I don't think they mean to be like, you know, do this thing. They're like, I'm doing this thing and you may or may not get some value out of doing something similar. That's really what I believe that, that the influencer process is and should mm-hmm. be. And then mm-hmm. at some point, whether you call them unicorns, rock stars, whatever that we want to call them, right. That we, we had like a, a group of people that suddenly, it seemed like they, they suddenly had a rider when they showed up an event. And over, <laughs> versus you're like, thank you so much for having me here. It was like, okay, I'm going to be there 12 minutes before I go on stage, make sure my sound is good, make sure I've got three waters, uh, and then I've got a three o'clock flight, so I've got to get off the stage five minutes after. Which, it, it suddenly, it really changed the way that I viewed how I interacted with those people, and they were no longer peers. And then, to top that off, bigger subject right they got hired by companies and then that blurry line between like you know disclosing where you work and and what you're doing and and being honest about how you participate in the sales process Mm -hmm. do you think that so you you've been very very close to this do you what have you seen change in you know what someone would call like a technology influencer over the course of the last decade Mm, sure, sure. Let, well, let's maybe let's go down from the yeah. That was go down from the macro to the micro and and talk about uh, our particular neck of the woods. I mean, eh, this is all. What's the Battlestar Galactica line? This is this, this has all been seen before. This has all been uh, you know this will all be seen again. Right. If you look back at the Microsoft ecosystem, you know some similar stuff happened in the in the nineties and two thousands. As uh, the Microsoft community grew up, you got people who became fairly well known. At the time, there wasn't there weren't things like social media, and so they they spun off into being uh, people like Paul Thurot. Maybe they were writers, and and uh, they uh, you know authored books, and they now have websites and things like that. So this, the cycle has happened in tech uh, even recently. I I guess I claim responsibility or blame for a little bit of the VMware situation at the, uh, over the years, and that was a beautiful and fun thing that, that really kind of grew up spontaneously. It's really hard, Eric, to tell from the inside the vendor perspective what the effect of your marketing dollars uh, are in most cases, right? Uh, certainly, I can tell if somebody clicked on something and, and bought something, but well, you know, in a, in a multi-touch sale over a long period, uh, you know, how much money should I be spending on all these different on PR, on ads, on uh, you know, sponsoring uh, this conference or that conference, or, or you know, taking people out to lunch? I don't know. So. A lot of money has been spent on influencer marketing and hiring influencers because uh, it seemed to move the needle some and, it, and attention uh, in 2019 and in the last maybe 10 years even is, is growing increasingly uh, hard to get. And so anything I can do to get your attention, to pay attention to me for just a little bit is important. Um, you know, the, we had, and so we're experimenting with different, the industry was experimenting with different ways of selling. And in some ways, uh, selling online or in, being an influencer on social media is, is akin to pre, you know, pre-sales or selling in that it's a kind of very kind of one-to-one and there's relationships. So I think they were, these people are kind of, we're hiring people as, as to get the word out. Um, I think the industry, our side of the industry is still kind of grappling with what's the role of these things. And we, we did this a lot in some of the Geek Whispers podcasts that we did. We covered like, is this a sales role? Is this a marketing role? Should this person be an evangelist? 
Um, I tell you right, I tell you now the the, the rise of the, the kind of developer advocate, operator advocate, actually is, is is the most interesting thing I see going on. And we can talk about that in a sec, but um, you know, I don't know. It's a tough. It's tough to be a professional influencer in in a B two B space if if you're not connected to kind of selling something and like the sales organization as a marketer it's uh you know i've seen a lot of people it's a tough career it's a tough career choice and no there's not a real org chart associated with it still in 2019 and so i think we're seeing most people who have influence it's in the comp in have influence not take the job of influencer but take other roles within a company uh like uh you know in in different parts of alliances or or product or, or marketing or customer interaction, and then use their influence as part of that role. Make sense? Yeah, no, and that's, that's perfect. You know, it really, I like the way you've wrapped it. The, the other thing is the titles, like the titles we fought. I mean, I, I, came, I, got, I came out of the customer side of the world. So I worked a large financial services joint and, and I was a systems architect there for a long time and, and did a lot of, I did my time. I did a, did a couple of 10 year stints. Right? And, and coming out of that, all of a sudden I got lucky enough that through external work that I did, I got picked up by a company and it was you know, then VM Turbo, now Turbonomic. And, and they said, Dave, do you want to get this job of, and we're going to call it, it's your, our, Turbo, our technology evangelist. I was like, whoo, sweet. This was five years ago when it was mm-hmm. like kind of, it was a neat thing. And I liked because I, I liked what I looked at people around me that had been successful at doing it. Uh, Ken Hoy, who, who today he's at Rubrik. Uh, Ken had been at Rackspace at the time. Um, I look at other folks, obviously, like Guy Kawasaki, if you're, if you're going way up the ladder. Mm-hmm. And they, Guy and his team uh, and his boss at Apple, I, I think, are credited with coining the term evangelist in the technical right. space. And, and there, I really enjoyed the idea that they talked about, they shared insights through practice of where they believe that things are going. And that's what I really loved about the idea of evangelism and being able to excite people about why we do things with technology that we do. And, and that's what I really enjoyed. So my evangelism role was wrapped around that of like being completely community facing. I had two rules when I said, when I came on board, I said, number one, I don't sell things. Number two, I don't stand next to people while they sell things. So I'm here to share my insights and my stories with people who use technology and people who will use our technology. And my goal is to listen to them, bring that back to the engineering team and ultimately create a loop in which we can create better product. And then along the way, in order to be more effective at doing that, I I had to stand next to people while they sold things. And and, Mm -hmm. and eventually, point where like I've got dropped into a thing of like all right here's a customer that's a this is the first meeting we're going to get you to do a demo and I was like and it was good to really make me uncomfortable about you know this is not my role but I had to really respect what was being done by that whole machine that's wrapped around it so I'm not just like willy-nilly going to conferences and and you know always putting my expenses in as non-billable. Like I'm just, I feel like I'm just a running expense, but right. by being super involved and getting in tune with what was really going on to support the business that paid my you know, evangelism, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really, really gained a respect for how it was. And so what bugs me, you know, what, what gets me lately is that people have this idea that they're like, well, no, I'm an, an evangelist or a developer advocate or whatever developer relations and I'm not connected to sales whatsoever, mm. like, but we're all in sales. And, and it's just a matter of like, I don't, I don't have a number. I don't have a quota. 
and I'm thankfully I don't. Right? It's just not my not my bag. So, but I'll happily support that team with the, with the thing that I do, and I believe that that's what everything is, and that's why I feel a a bit of a dishonesty by people who are like, we're not professional conference attendees. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you're paid a pretty hefty sum of money by a trillion dollar corporation and that's kind of where you're you're showing up i know you're doing stuff behind the scenes but like share that stuff and, and maybe you'll realize that you're a little more tightly tied to the whole business sales process yeah. well, well yeah, there's a few things to unpack there eric so first of all title and are you still, are you, is your title still uh, evangelist or have you changed? Yeah, it's, it's my unofficial title. And there was a weird thing I had actually was, you know, God, I hate to make this about me, but this is a great example. Like I started off, I was principal solutions engineer with my official title. That's mm. like our title. And everybody was like, wow, that's really cool. And I'm like, yeah, no, but I'm the evangelist. I'm like, that's, that's the one I want. That's the one that goes on my business card above principal solutions engineer. And then I actually, you know, over the course of the last year and a half, I switched and, and they made me the director of technical marketing. I was kind of sad. I'm like, oh, I'm not an engineer anymore. <laughs> also makes yeah. it harder to cross borders. But beyond oh. that, that was, that was a thing. And so like I dug the title and then it was funny that a couple of years ago, I think Kelsey Hightower, Kelsey's great. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people who've done anything in, in, in cloud and Kubernetes, they know Kelsey. And he at one point said like he was changing his title from evangelist to whatever. I forget what, what he actually officially called it. He said because he was worried that evangelism was too much telling the story of the company, you know, and, and I was like, no, that's not what it is. Like you mm -hmm, can be mm -hmm. great evangelist without that. Yeah. That was a weird cut point for me too, as well. Yeah. Well, Eric, I mean, people, you know, you, 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 it's a, it's like a communication theory, Shannon communication theory, right? There's, there's things that you say and there's things that people receive. If people think that that's what you're doing is telling the company's story, uh, you know, then that's, that becomes your gig. Uh, right. I think I see a lot of people uh, changing the, the, the title evangelist because it does have some connotations of preaching and of, of, of outbound stuff in a, in a way that some people are uncomfortable with. I know, Years ago, again, on the, on the Geek Whispers podcast, Vaughn Stewart, who was at that time the, the chief evangelist for NetApp, gave up his title, moved into the, the field organization because he said, as the evangelist, people kept expecting me to uh, speak like an executive and speak for the company, whereas the power of the evangelist is actually I'm speaking with a, my, a personal context and a personal tone and giving you a little bit of my opinion about the way things are going, like you just said. But people keep putting on this on me that I'm somehow some sort of a, you know executive, and and the things I say they, you know, they're trying to the, the checks I write they're trying to cash. So um, you know, the title evangelist didn't work for him. Um, let's see, let's not. So that's that I'm seeing a definite shift in, which is okay, which is great. And also, there's a very, again, what's the job definition? What's the career path for that? You know, if you think your your job is to uh, fly around the country and speak, but yet your boss or your, you know, a new boss comes in and they think your job is to write white papers. There's, I've seen that happen over and over again. It's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. And in fact, folks like Ken Hoy, uh, you know, his, his, his group is now technical marketing again. So like you, so those titles come and go, some of them are a little bit fashionable. I think, you know, field CTO is another one, but that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, that's, that's exactly uh, 
We could do a couple hours on that one alone. <laughs> Let's unpack the second thing you said, which is talking about sales. You know, sales is not dirty at all. Sales in a B2B context is really about helping people and figuring out how you can help them. It's one of the more fun things you can do when it works because you're, you, you've done something, you know, you've gotten somebody out of a jam or you've fixed something. So, you know, I've never found sales dirty. I do find it a little bit frustrating in the community manager space, which is related to the things we were talking about. And so now kind of in the developer relations space that there are a lot of kind of junior people who feel like they are disconnected from sales. And I think that's a little bit unhealthy. Uh, it's one of the reasons we started the Influence Marketing Council, which is really not just about influence. It's not really just about marketing. It's not really a council, but, um, you know, but, but to try to take these, Title selection, I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hey, naming is not one of my strengths, maybe. But, um, you know, we're trying to take that, this stuff we're talking about here, this whole trust relationships, influence stuff, and relate it back to the business in a commercial context. And because I think that's important. You know, again, there's another podcast here about open source and its relationship, the open source community and, and, and its and their relationship back to sales and commerce. But again, that's a whole other podcast. But I think it's, it's a little dangerous and a little disingenuous to, to not approach uh, the selling process and the commercial relationship with the respect and the, and the, you know, this is not used car salesmanship. This is not a dirty thing. This is, this is a really, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word sacred, but it's a really, it's a, it's filled with trust. And, and if you do it right, it's a really good thing. So number two. And that's it. It's, uh, and I, I believe that's the, I love that healthy view of it. It's like, Hey, like there are going to be, there's extreme cases on any edge. And, and don't let those define. And we all know some salespeople who are just, we don't like, as geeks, we don't really kind of resonate with them. And, and, and some of them are ethical and some of them are, not, are just, it's a tone thing, but we, that, that exists. When I, told, when I came on board of the company, I said, you know, that my, my first and only job was to make sure that nobody sold to my CIO something that I did not believe that we could get business value out of. And I said, because in that, that was my role internally was the, to influence the, you know, the purchase and, and use of technology. And it, and I, it was interesting that my relationship was built that way with the CIO. He was a certified management accountant. He was a guy that you could look on a table and see like 28 things and he could tell you what each of them cost and what it would cost if you amortized it over 17 years. Like he was like rain man level of math capabilities and a really, really phenomenal guy got technology, ran development teams. So we were very, very tight on that one. And so here I was like, I felt like I was the blocker to like dirty salespeople. And then through interacting with those salespeople more and more, I found myself going like, Hey, you know, you know, try your thing out because mm -hmm. I respect how you're approaching me with this one. And, and once we moved to like the business sale instead of the product sale, which was like, what's the actual thing we're trying to do? And I think we got way better at that as an industry over the course of the last, you know, like the cloud kind of made that happen. That's again, separate podcast. We'll, we'll go yeah. into to that, but. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, hey, I, eventually, yeah. let's, let's go back to the core on this one. What were you, what were you going to say? Oh, hey, I was just going to, I was going to unpack a, a third thing very briefly, which was this, uh, this idea of, of advocacy and uh, how it's kind of turned this thing a little bit on its head. The, the new trend is to call people advocates, comes out of developer relations and developer advocacy. You're supposed to be advocating for the developers, not, for the, not to the developers, uh, is kind of the rationale here. And it actually, it, it, one of the things it's brought in is this increased emphasis on the technical user 
I uh, talked recently with Rick Klaus at, at the Azure Advocates, right? And the Microsoft team there that they've built up, which now includes both development developers and operations, it has a very different structure than some of the what we or you and I, Eric, were more familiar with over on the infrastructure side, which is that they report as a product and their deliverables uh, don't have anything to do with number of speeches given or anything like that. They are, they're measured on two things. They're measured on how much they bring back to the product org, how, many, how much influence and effect they've had by bringing back suggestions and problems and issues and things like that to the, to the product team. And then they're also measured on how much they help the communities that they're a part of. So in that case, you know, Azure is very, is still pretty nascent. It's, it's, very, it's a little bit different than the old school Microsoft community. They're, they're reaching out into other communities, open source, the VMware community, uh, big data and AI and ML and, you know, uh, HPC, right? They're, they're reaching out into communities where they were not a part of. And part of what these advocates are measured on is how much did you help that big data community do something new? Uh, and that's also that's a, that both those both those KPIs actually are pretty cool, and I think it kind of turns the whole evangelist role a little bit on its head. And I I, I like it. Now there's some other I'm, again another podcast on some other things I think they should be doing, but I don't know. I think we're in a good. I think we're headed towards a good place there. With yeah, this whole I like. Thing. I really do like what they've done. It's funny Microsoft has has kind of come out and and they've really beautifully bridged this gap from like you know we we sort of joke. Like, you know, we, whenever Oracle comes out, we joke about lawyers. Whenever Microsoft comes out, we joke about, you know, Bill Gates dancing on stage and, and like, like, there's all these things that we have this history and they're, they're really doing so well at escaping it. And I listened to like Satya speak, you know, uh, and if you haven't seen Satya Nadella, you know, deliver or, or read his book, it's, it, he's just fundamentally different in, in how he, he does things from a lot of folks in the industry. And it's really, really good. There's a lot of people that are in this new style of, of CEO and, and, and I appreciate it. When you listen to his keynotes, it's all like you, you, you do this and you're doing this and you're telling us that we, and it was, I actually went through and I actually counted the number of times he said we and the number of times you and the ratio of you to we was like four to one. And I did the same thing for AWS and the U to we was like four to one. And I did the, the VMware uh, and it was like two to one. I was like, oh, okay, th this is neat. Like you can hear it literally in the way they speak publicly that it's very wow. much you focus. And, Fascinating. And, and the we was always, even when you take the words out and take the phrase around it, the we was, you told us that we need to do something better. So we did. And it was like, Oh, wow. Okay. They're, they're actually listening. And that's, so this is the thing. I believe the best advocacy is the person with the biggest ears, not physically, maybe I don't, I'm not against big ear people, but I mean like that, listen, 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 like that's, that's what it is. And, and it's, that's what really kind of people think that like evangelism or, or whatever the titles are that they're simply, you know, going out with a bullhorn and, and talking and, and giving speeches at events. You're like, no, they're, they're listening to 500 people in a room at a time. It's, it's quite a fun thing to be able to do and, and to actually read the room and, and move to that room and then stop and talk to all those people after, instead of like gunning it for the airport, sticking around, watching the floor and watching the way that people interact and that's, that's the cool part. And, and I, so I worry as though like the influencer as a brand becomes like purely the written word. And then eventually 
like the not necessarily clearly disclosed relationships and and how we interact with the companies that we're evangelizing or advocating yeah. that's that's an interesting area where i want to make sure that that people that listen here and, and people that i work with are like be very very clear on this you like this is my evangelist hat and the moment someone says hey i got a question about your product like aha you've now invited dracula inside the home i'm, I'm officially <laughs> in. that's the i can't come in until you invite me but once you do all right then we're going to talk we'll go deep we'll do whatever but I, I that's my role is not to blast until you you hear about what my product does i want to hear about what you do and then when you ask me i'm like all right then we can dig in yeah. Well, Eric, I, I think maybe the, the issue is not so much if when you work for a company. So for instance, if I talk to you, Eric, you work for Turbonomic, I know that uh, it's very clear, you know, I would expect you to represent your product if I ask you about it to the best of your ability, right? And, and put a best light on it and, and figure out if it, if, it, if it makes sense and is a fit for me. So I think the bigger issue comes about when you have what is commonly thought of as an influencer, right? A third party, non-institutional influencer, maybe a practitioner, either non-professional or semi-professional. And by that, I mean either they have a day job in which, uh, you know, they actually work at, a, at another gig and then they do this influencer thing. They write or speak or make videos on the side. Or uh, maybe they're semi-pro. Maybe they do some freelance work, but they're not a full, or maybe they're paid, right? Maybe maybe this is their full-time gig to do, uh, maybe they're kind of like mini analysts, right? And, and yeah. do this. Uh, their disclosure becomes super important and who's being paid for what becomes super important. Now you and I um, actually are just about to head uh, or, or are heading, depending on when this podcast goes to, to IBM think in San Francisco and uh, IBM's paying our way and uh, we'll probably tweet and write about it. I know IBM wanted us. Uh, they told me, I think they want us to tweet something with a hashtag like hashtag IBM partner, which to them indicates that we're somehow a partner or somehow affiliated with IBM or being paid by them. Uh, in, a, in the U.S., there's some real controver well, controversy in question. The FTC really wants us to be doing things like on Instagram, doing hashtag ad or hashtag sponsored, because frankly, there's a lot of shenanigans going around, especially in the B2C space, that uh, there's a lot of sponsored posting going on, and, and people aren't telling you about it. And, you know, that's always been a little bit a part of B2B where analysts and stuff are flown places. Uh, journalists don't take, usually American journalists don't accept flights and hotels, but uh, sometimes European journalists do, analysts usually do. Usually that's all disclosed and usually we all claim that, you know, that we all say that, you know, that, that didn't influence what our, we were talking about. But of course there's all this, you know, jokes about Gartner and, you know, you know pay for play. So this is all a messy situation here. And I think it behooves the kind of like semi-professional part, the, the practitioner grassroots part of this whole e ecosystem to stay super clean. Because anyway, we can, we can break that apart or not. I mean, but it, it, it disclosure of who's being paid for what, that some of that is explicit, like I got paid for this blog post and some of that is implicit, like they took me out to dinner or they flew me to San Francisco. I, I think it's pretty important, Eric. Yeah, well, that's, that's the interesting thing is, Defining independence, and, and I believe you can have an independence of voice while being a, a company, while being paid by a company. And we also have to be aware that you also cannot be entirely independent. So I can never be entirely independent because I work for a technology vendor that, you know, sells in a particular space. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to have some guardrails on what I can say, 
and and what I sh what and when I say something and it's clearly company leaning, I should be clear about that. What's funny is then you get the people who again like that like I'm not in sales, I'm completely independent, I'm simply here for the developer. You're like, okay, perfect. Start talking about AWS then, Microsoft paid person, right? Oh, right, that paycheck's gonna stop because you're actually not completely independent. But so defining the independence, I, I firmly believe they have a beautiful independence of voice and they do that very well. But that whole thing of like, no one has my, no one has my, you know, owns my, my voice. You know, opinions are my own. Mm, no, no, they're not. <laughs> Actually, they're not at all. Go ahead, write really dirty stuff on your Twitter. And guess what? Your opinions are going to be your own because you're going to be out of a job. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, look, it behooves everybody to add value however they can, right? And part of what you're doing when you're writing or speaking or communicating or explaining is you're, you're trying to, to add value by explaining or by illustrating or by pointing people's attention to something that you think is interesting or that you feel like you can explain. Um, as long as we keep that in mind, I think we're all okay. I think that the trouble becomes when, you know, there's a million companies who would like me to tweet about them or to write a blog post about them. And, you know, which, you know, which ones do I choose? And is that purely, uh, you know, how can you say what is interesting versus not interesting? Um, you know, how can, can you really, <laughs> at the end of the day, can you really say that, yes, in my brain, I, I picked this one product as interesting and this other product is not interesting? Uh, or did, you know, what was I influenced by? And, you know, and our, our unconscious brains, I mean, advertising works. Um, you know, seeing something, a brand name, uh, 10 times before you go to a conference, you know, will kind of st stick in your head and you might go up to their booth. Whereas if you didn't see their brand name, you might walk right past it. So again, I, I'm not quite sure what we're, uh, where we're ending up here, but I mean, there, it's a, it's a sticky situation. Uh, you know, all one can do with one's personal integrity is, is try to add value and try to be honest about what your affiliations are. And, you know, and recognize that there's other people, your competitors and people on the other side of the table are people. Um, and, you know, if you're representing the company and you're all the things in your company are good and everybody else is uh, terrible and then you switch companies and your and your line changes, uh, you know, that's not a good look. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I think it's really decent. This is great. This is great topical stuff because it's, I'm, I'm a champion for the independent voice. I'm a champion for the peer uh, influence or the ability to say like, I've done this neat thing and I happen to be using this product and it's kind of cool. And it's, and by saying that I like this one thing or I've had good experiences using this one thing, it also does not mean I specifically hate everything but this thing, like which there's also this weird, maybe there's like a Twitter, you know, everybody gets a little too triggered and they'll suddenly say like, oh, you said that, you know, AWS code pipelines like pretty wicked cool. That doesn't mean that the Azure equivalent is not. It doesn't mean that the HashiCorp thing is not. It doesn't mean that GitHub, like, I love that, like, I'm, I'm just sharing a specific story that I happen to use with a thing. I go to sleep on uh, tonight on my MyPillow.com pillow. That doesn't mean that I don't think all non-MyPillow.com pillows are bad pillows. It's, and it, this is the careful thing. I love the idea that, like, these are the kind of conversations I love to share because, you know, people are really good. And I've, there's a lot of people I know who I don't know where they work. I have to look it up. 
because mm-hmm. that's how well they, they, they emote this beautiful independence. They're people that they tell a great story. They're, I'm excited by what they're excited by. And, and then you say, like, when I hear where they work, I start digging into like, oh, let me see what they do and let me see what that product does. And it actually pulls me in more than like them pushing it on me. And that's, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the sweet spot of influence, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you say, attention, your, your attention is valuable. Like I said, like I said, <laughs> your attention is valuable and, and people who can capture your attention. Uh, by being interesting in some way are, are super valuable. And sometimes that's personality and sometimes that's cleverness. Sometimes that's tech. Sometimes that's just, you know, wisdom. It's, you know, whatever, right? There's a, there's a lot of tr- tricks in, in the human bag. But Eric, I think it might be interesting to talk about communities of practice for a little bit and because it's kind of what you were just alluding to. So re- recently, is, is that okay if I go ahead? 100%. This is a natural segue. I, I, yeah. I, I would write them as, this, as well as this is going here. <laughs> The, um, you know, we have no list in front of us, so we're just kind of winging it. But so, so recently I've been doing some research and really getting interested in, in this concept of communities of practice. So a community of practice, everybody kind of knows what a community is. A community of practice is a group of people who come together around a, to, to develop a, in a particular domain. And some of this is academic theory from the 90s. And you can just Google it. There's a Wikipedia article on it. You know, you can get up to speed. Um, but... Um, you know, there's, it's a particular uh, model of learning. So people come together in a domain, and that could be accountants, it could be IT people, whatever, to, to learn from each other. And so as part of that, they start to develop a community, and they start to have a shared identity, they start to have shared experiences, and they start to come out with uh, outputs, a, a repertoire of things, tutorials, best practices, or better practices, you know, ways of doing things, uh, tools, utilities, software, add-ons, uh, you know, blog posts, videos, you know, V-mugs, all these sort of things, they come out, the community develops these things to teach each other. And you get community leaders who are the senior teachers, you get new people who come in who are the learning. And you can really, if you're listening to this, you should be nodding and mapping it to your own experiences because that's what happens in tech a lot, right? These community of practices, the professional communities come together. And so when you, when you look at it that way, it becomes very interesting because then one, it kind of one of the main purposes of, a, of this community practice is to learn and to teach. And that, that, that seems true, and it seems to map back to our experiences, and it seems to map back to our motivations about helping other people. And then also, you, could, you look at these things like identity, and what you just said, you're never quite sure who works for what company, because the identity of the community, in some cases, supersedes the identity of the employer. So that's, so for instance, what we did with the V-Experts. We put them, when we started the VMware vExpert per program, we specifically, I think by the second year, we put together people who were customers, people who worked in the channel, the, the sales channel, people who were technology and alliance partners, other people in the vendory part of the industry, and employees. But we took all the interesting geeks and we put them in one group. Usually in kind of the corporate realm, this is a little bit dangerous and kind of unheard of. You want to keep the customers separate from the channel partners because the thought is, well, the channel partners will bug the customers or try to poach the customers or, or fight over the customers. And so you've got to, it's like a male and female, you know, beta fighting fish or whatever. You've got to keep them separate. Um, and so uh, you've got to keep everybody in their own pens, but we put them all together partially on purpose and partially it was a it was a fortuitous accident i realize now that what we were doing is we were helping uh enhance the bonds of this community practice 
that had already really started in the forums and other things like that. So, so this community of practice is strong. Now, I've been in other ecosystems where it wasn't as strong, where the, the community was mostly customers and the channel people were afraid to play with them or where the community was mostly the, the professional practitioners and the end user customers didn't have the role models and weren't encouraged to join. And so you do, these things do wax and wane. They grow, they, they get old, they solidify, new ones come up. We see that with, you know, the, the, the Microsoft generation, the VMware generation, the cloud generation all feel a little different. I think there's a danger of, of ossifying, you know, like a healthy community, like a healthy, whether that's a church or, or, the, or a, a technology community, has a kind of a healthy life cycle and ecosystem where new people come in, they, they learn the culture, they learn the rules, other people kind of inculcate them into, into the culture. There are, there are uh, things you can and can't do. There's a natural progression, and if you if you screw that up by, you know, becoming too rigid or not welcoming new people or not uh, you know lifting them up, like things can things can ossify, and so and things can get things can not function as well. So I think you you know people can take what I just said for map it to whatever you know whatever communities you're thinking about that 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 that, that, that I hopefully I maybe I spark some ideas in people, but I think Eric, this is. It's a super interesting way to look at both what a community is and a technology community and also what influencers are because influencers have influence within that community. Um, and they only have influence as an authority within that community because they're, they're a leader or a participant in that community. They don't have authority or, or influence in other communities. I can't walk into the Kubernetes world and, and, and because I, I don't really participate in Well, I participated in some, but you know, I, I'm not as well known in or the the big data world or data analytics world, right? Um, because I don't participate in it. Um, and so, I don't know, Eric, I, I just threw out up again, I, I keep going, you keep going down to kind of specific incidents, I keep going up to theory, but I, oh, I guess I am an academic a little bit. So, I, I don't know, what does that spark in you? What, what do you, where do you want to go from there? This is precisely how I like to do it. We can kind of, we pull back to specifics and then go back to why it happens. And that's, that's what I've been doing more study recently. And I like that you've like pulled back. This is like nineties, you know, theory, this is intellectual theory that's going on. It's been something like this. We're not making this stuff up. It's been around probably since, you know, <laughs> and it's just playing out in oh. different ways. Yeah, and if you go into the big systems integrators, you know, because they're, they always personify bureaucratic ideas, you know, there's a whole groups there who are, who are trying to develop communities of practice within those huge systems integrators, right? This is a real thing. It's an academic theory, but it's a real thing. And the, the thing that I fear that happens, and you see it, you know, again, so like when I'm on the ground and I'm watching these, I go through a lot of communities, and I specifically move within and, and, and into new communities. It started with Linux, then it moved into Microsoft, and then it was VMware, then it was Nobel, or like all over the place, and you know, Kubernetes and OpenStack, and, and it's neat to see how it, it plays out from community to community. We hit the same problems. Not so much so as like in the first couple of years, there's the neat growing pains as it scales and such. But the other one that I, I worry about sometimes is with communities that have been around for a long time, and you get the sort of lagging... Uh, or like the long time players. And I, 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 I liken it to you know, somebody who's 40 wearing their high school football jacket. And like, that's one thing they're proud of what they had, but they, they think like it was way better in the old days. And what's worse is that those people keep going back to the high school football games. And it's, 
what I, they don't seem to want the community to evolve with the industry and with, with the way it's moving. And, and that's, what's neat. You know, obviously the VMware community has done incredible things with changing what, you know, VMware doesn't mean what VMware did five years ago, even, or especially 10 years ago. So when we look at those folks that have hung around for a long time and they get like curmudgeonly like, Oh, there's too many people in this V expert community. And they don't like, Oh, well, this is, it's just kind of how it's going. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I hope that people can, the problem with those folks is sometimes they're also extremely vocal <laughs> and it can create sort of a negative thing that maybe is not as welcoming for new people. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, I've never used this before, but I'm using, you know, NSX or something. And I'm like, so tell me about what you guys do. And they're like, ah, oh, you guys are, you know, it's a science project. I, you know, it's all around the virtualization stack. I'm like, oh no. So do you, do you see the, the, do you have any ideas on how we can reduce the risk of creating that sticky, you know, thing as, as the culture evolves? Yeah. Well, like you say, it, it happens in, in many communities and especially technical ones, right? The, the Unix geeks, uh, you know, sneer at you if you don't know every flag of every command or, or that they think you should. Oh, of course you should know that. Or even the, you know, in the Kubernetes world, there, there's, some, there's some people who are already a little dismissive if you don't know how to do, do this or that. Um, you know, and, and it, it comes in many flavors, right? In the VMware community, right? If, if you sneer at somebody you don't know, Duncan Epping, like that, that's a really distancing, off-putting comment for somebody who may just have wandered in and uh, is just getting started. It just got handed the keys to their, you know, VMware admin uh, credentials. And uh, so, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful in, from a cultural standpoint, uh, how you do welcome new people and how you do talk about these things that every quote unquote, everybody knows. Um, you know, I don't work for VMware anymore, um, but uh, I am concerned. Yeah, I that. Pulling you into the, I, I, I keep pulling you into it mostly because I know you've, you, you grew something there and you've stepped away. You're, you're not in it directly. Mm-hmm. I apologize that I keep like dragging the, the, <laughs> I, I do. I do work with the community, and in fact, you know, a lot of the business of tech reckoning is is kind of helping vendors work with that and other communities. Um, you know, I am concerned. Uh, are we? You know, you get these perfect moments in time. In, in Microsoft, you know, Novell was one. VM, you know, Net, Microsoft, VMware, Salesforce is one right now. You know, and, and some of the cloud AWS stuff is is another place where things come together and things work really well. Um, but I am concerned that uh, we aren't doing what we could to grow up new, uh, bring new people into that ecosystem or, or, or develop the younger or the newer folks to become, uh, take part in this conversation, right? Because as we said, it's a learning community, but it's, it's also, a, you do have this added thing of in 2019 that, that you can become influential, it can help your career. Uh, certainly, as a technologist, anything you can do to help your communication skills is actually going to help you in, all along your career. And, and, and whether that's, we used to say just start a blog. Ten years ago, we would have said start a blog. Now, I, I don't actually know what one should do. Should you start a, a, a video channel? Should you, uh, you know, should you write stuff up on LinkedIn? Should you just join an open source community and, and uh, help their, you know, start helping their documentation and their, and their code? I, I'm not quite sure. There's lots of, you know, should you start a, a meetup or a user group? But, you know, how is the VMware community welcoming new people and helping them lift them up in their careers? 
how are the VMUGs uh, embracing change and embracing kind of what the next set of, of technology professionals are going to need to know? Uh, is it really just about the, the, the one company's technology or is it about, uh, again, embracing kind of uh, change and, and uh, IT as, as uh, you know, disruptor and IT as change maker rather than IT as cost center and putting the no in innovation? You know, how, how do, can the company foster that? How can the, where can the community take it? You know, looking at both, I mean, part of this is market realities too, as, as money shifts around. You know, how can uh, these, uh, you know, the, frankly, the AWS community is great in some ways and terrible in others. You know, how can the VMware community and the Microsoft communities show the AWS, the Amazon and the AWS team what a community could be? Uh, other open source is really struggling, open source is kind of struggling with itself. It, it, right now, in, in, in the effects of the cloud on open source licenses, how does the open source community work with, with the cloud providers and vice versa? There, I, I guess I, that's a lot of questions, Eric. What we, can do is, what we can do is kind of talk about these things and try to figure out what are some of the ways that both as a community we can help uplift people and as individuals, uh, you and I, like uh, what we can do to, again, to, to both to increase our practice like it, this podcast reaches certain people who like podcasts. It won't reach people who don't like podcasts. Uh, should I start it? You know, should a young person start it? Should a new person start a podcast? And yes or no, kind of depending. So I think, and also how can you make your podcast better and more engaging? Should it be every week? Should it be 30 minutes? Should it be 90 minutes? Should it be four guys just sitting around and, uh, and shooting the shit like over beers? Uh, some of those, you know, there's all, should it be just the headlines, right? There's all sorts of, there's not one kind of TV show. There's not one, you know, the one kind of radio show. There's not one kind of book. So I think uh, as we as a community of communicators and uh, influencers, if to use a dirty word, uh, we can also explore, you know, what does it mean? Or, you know, how can I bring myself and creativity to get to, to help people and to be creative and to get people's attention? And it's funny, even like even the greatest podcasts or the greatest blogs, you find me the the more the more popular and the more re read or listens to it becomes, the more it's likely to draw the ire of somebody. Right? And that's the, because people. Well, are, yeah. social media. Yeah. We're having that's a, again a whole other conversation. I have some strong feelings about Facebook and Twitter and 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 that discourse. And like you say, call out culture is a challenge challenging at the moment um uh, anyway we won't we won't cast play maybe but but yeah you know, go ahead I, I definitely i really thank you for you know those are these are strong questions that we're always going to ask yeah I think to, and it's it's some it's a good health check like i i do it as a self check every once in a while and someone will say like they i've been lucky you know in the way that i've i've approached it watching you and and, and other peers in the industry who've done a, a really good job of of maybe you know being beside a brand you know, more than, than on top or, or align, like you can align with it, but not be, be the brand. And, and people really respect when you do that. And I'm happy when someone says like, you know, they see the, the independence of voice. And, and mm -hmm. I think anybody who's coming up into it, you know, find, find your voice. You could be a voice telling a story about a tool that you use or a product you like, or a thing you do, a sport you enjoy. Be, Absolutely. Be the, build your voice, you know, and when, while you're doing that, maybe someone's going to come along and say, Hey, can I borrow your voice? And, and just do that with integrity. And that's, that's all it's, 
and and if we see folks that are that are kind of getting on the wrong side sometimes it's good to even just say like hey you know it's it's sounding a little pitchy you know and and it's it's a tough one so we'll we'll see we'll see how it all plays out but <laughs> that, i don't yeah. know i don't know that there's like you said there's no answers to these ones necessarily but there's definitely and there there won't be there should always be questions that we're always going to ask yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, I, I maybe uh, I I did a little promotion at the self promotion at the beginning. Um, by the time this is uh, you're listening to this, uh, techreckoning.com I think was going to be relaunched. We're going to have a, a, some stuff from the community on the front end, some content and things like that. And eventually, over the course of time, on the back end, I'd really like to spin up some forums and things to talk, have some discussion about precisely what we're talking here, Eric. You know, this this professional conversation about communication and about your voice. Uh, humans have been storytellers since we've gathered around, you know, the first fire, you know, campfire, right? So, so how can you, you tell your voice and telling your voice in a professional context, uh, telling your story in a professional context, uh, how do you be an influencer, quote unquote? Uh, we need a better word for that, Eric. But um, anyway, so come on, you know, hopefully uh, you'll be hearing some more noise on techreckoning.com too. Uh, and the Influence Marketing Council as well, if people are interested in that. Um, anyway, people know me, people know how to reach me. <laughs> yeah. If they don't, you know, go, go and, go and, go and seek it out and, and see what's, what's been done and, and what's coming. It's, it's important. It's funny if I look at, you know, the OG influencers, right? It's like, you know, those, those bunch of folks that got together and wrote the Bible, right? You, I'm sure at some point they're like, man, you know, you spend a little too much time on the whole Ecclesiastes thing. Like, come on, like, let's get over it all. <laughs> like, there, somewhere along the way, we just didn't have Twitter back then. That that would have been like totally Job full of shit. Like someone would have been out there trashing Job for something or other. Like, no, oh, just just get over it already. Like, no, mm. not, not, I love it. And I again, love it, man. Keep hey, so, questions, right? Yeah, yeah. And hey, I realized I just did something that was a little bit distancing. I said, oh, everybody knows how to reach me. Uh, not everybody knows how to reach me. I'm I'm very micro known. So um, I'm John Mark Troyer. J Troyer on Twitter. You can Google John Troyer, jtroyer.me, techreckoning.com, john at techreckoning.com. It all gets to me. So nice. Yeah. I, my favorite uh, thing I heard about, you know, being, even being known, you're unknown. It was uh, Penn Gillette was, he was on, a, on a, a radio show and he was talking about, you know, what, after he was on The Apprentice. And so for folks that already know, Penn and Teller, you know, famous, you know, uh, Las Vegas magicians, did a New York show, been around for, for decades. Super fun, uh, funny. I like them anyways. And, and so he said, like, we, people come to the shows all the time. They're, they're well attended. They get lots of fan mail. They get lots of readers. They sell books and stuff. And he says, and here I was, I go and I go on The Apprentice. And all these people suddenly started selling out shows. He says the shows were sold out for like a year. And people would come to the show and say, like, no idea what you do, but I saw you on The Apprentice, so I thought I'd come check it out. And he's like, wow. He says, I realized that by average, you know, if there's, you know, 5 billion people on earth, even if a lot of people know you, by average, nobody knows who you are. <laughs> and he, and he says, despite all these things, it was kind of funny. I, uh, you know, yeah, definitely. So folks, seek it out, you know, seek out other people in the community. Uh, you can always reach, you know, approach me. Uh, you know, Twitter's easy way to find me, Eric, or I'm, at, I'm Disco Posse. I'm Eric at DiscoPosse.com. John, you know, obviously gave out your contact info. So one more time for the, for the show 
uh, folks, and then we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk more in future about some of the stuff we'll talk after the uh, the IBM event. So for folks that are getting, if it's already occurred, keep your eyes peeled. There's going to be a post show that we're going to talk about. So how do we find you again, John? Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, at Jay Troyer on Twitter, uh, Jay Troyer at techreckoning.com, jtroyer.me. Um, you know, uh, or just say my name three times on, on Twitter and I'll, I'll probably appear. You're bound to be found. So awesome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate this is a, it's a, a hopefully something that people walk away and they don't have answers, but they have the right questions to keep asking. That's, that's all I would ask. And, and again, if folks want to get, get involved in tech communities, want to get involved in stuff, you can reach either of us. Uh, this has been a blast. And then, uh, I'll see you soon on the ground in San Francisco. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Eric. You're listening to today's Cool Palsy Podcast.